You're listening to episode 147 of the Fits Pro podcast, and today we are on the fitness side of things talking about what it actually takes to get strong. I think a lot of people want to build muscle. I think a lot of people, specifically women, want to or are intrigued by gaining strength. And I think it's helpful for coaches and trainees alike to understand what really goes into that process. So that is what today's episode is all about. Without further ado, let's dive in. The FitzPro podcast is your no BS approach to seeking out truth in the world that is online health and fitness. You'll see through the lens of the trainer, the trainee, and the entrepreneur. I'm your host, Annie Miller, certified strength and conditioning specialist, entrepreneur, lover of sleep, lattes, and dinosaurs, aka not your average Fitzbo. And my aim is to help you grow your mind, body, and business through knowledge and authenticity so that you too can become a Fitzpro. I know that today we are talking about the fitness side of things, but if you do happen to be a business owner in the online health and fitness space in this field, make sure that you check out my free on-demand workshop, Your Biz Your Way, Three Steps to Build a Profitable Online Health and Fitness Business. You can check that out at anniemiller.co slash workshop dash register. Again, it's free. Watch it on your own time. There is an upsell in that to my Fitzboro Foundations course, but you are also just free to watch the workshop. While you are over on the site, snag all of the free resources at anniemiller.co slash resources. That is all of my freebies, so downloads and things of that sort that I have made for trainees, trainers, and entrepreneurs. And of course, as usual, I want to thank Legion Athletics. They are the number one brand of all natural sports supplements in the world. If you are in the market for or curious about supplements, I highly recommend Legion, mainly because even if you aren't a science nerd per se, you can trust this company because they have 100% formula transparency, meaning that underneath each product on their website, you can click all of the scientific literature, peer-reviewed scientific literature that backs the ingredients and the dosages that they put into these supplements are largely unregulated. And so that just puts Legion kind of above the rest, if you will, or in that top tier. They are 100% naturally sweetened and flavored. If you are skeptical, I absolutely get it. I didn't use supplements for probably five years um, until I found Legion and began using theirs. They have 100% money back guarantee if you are skeptical. Go to buylegion.com and use code Annie at checkout for 20% off your first order. And you can also still use code Annie if it's not your first time, and you will get double Legion reward points. So let's start off this episode with a precursor, which is that consistency is not one of my main points today because that is a given. You are not going to gain strength in the absence of consistency. So we're just putting that out there to begin with. You are not maximizing strength without being consistent with your training and everything else that we are going to talk about today. Oftentimes I think, and even in the intro I said, people often want to build muscle and gain strength. I think that hypertrophy and strength are thrown into the same boat or conversation very often. I'm not at all mad at that. There are certainly programs that involve both, and the two topics or training goals are in fact related, which brings us to the first point, which is the difference between muscle growth and strength, and they are absolutely related. Muscle mass holds the potential for strength, right? Muscle is how, is the engine that allows strength to be demonstrated, 
right? And strength is a skill. There is a massive neurological, mental, and physical piece to building, gaining, and maintaining strength. And having muscle mass is the precursor of that. Your muscle mass is the potential for strength. That kind of brings us to this idea of newbie gains. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but in a very oversimplified sense, to gain strength, we need to stimulate the muscle beyond what it has been experienced, has, excuse me, experienced before. And we're also training a skill. When a person starts lifting for the first time, anything beyond body weight or maybe even their own body weight can elicit that stimulus. There are also massive neurological gains to be made. They are learning a movement pattern. They're building new motor patterns. They're building new neural pathways, neuromuscular pathways. Thus, in the first four to six weeks, and this is a person who has a training age in the weight room of zero or very, very little experience. In the first four to six weeks, they likely haven't built actual strength or actual muscle rather improved their neuromuscular pathways. They've built a skill. They've become more efficient at a given movement, which I suppose you could argue is in fact gaining a piece of strength anyway. But the point is that this much larger jump in weight lifted and force produced are going to happen early in someone's lifting experience, even as an amateur These gains can continue for years before a lifter truly plateaus with their strength gains, but that largely depends on the lift. So say with lateral shoulder raises, a lifter may hit five pounds and realize that that is going to be difficult for a very long time. And the point of that more isolated type of movement with a very long lever is Also, maybe not the lift to strive for, you know, maximal or near maximal strength with. Not every exercise is best used for maximal or near maximal strength. So it may be better to push control and capacity with these types of exercises or endurance or hypertrophy versus those lower rep, maximal strength, high load type type of movements. The next point is really what it takes to get strong. So as mentioned earlier, you need a greater stimulus than a muscle has experienced in the past to have an adaptation that results in more force produced, which is strength. That is in fact the definition of strength. Time is not a factor when looking at strength. It strictly refers to and measures force produced, period. If it takes you 20 seconds or five seconds, that is of no value. Only the actual weight lifted. In theory, more muscle could be correlated to more strength if strength is being trained. Remember that strength is a skill. A bodybuilder with massive amounts of muscle, even more muscle than someone else, may not be as strong as the person with less muscle mass, but they've trained strength in a given skill. Training the skill is so freaking important when it comes to building strength. That is number two for what it takes to get strong. Number one is actually building muscle because I know I sound like a broken record, but we need muscle to build strength. Number one and number two can, of course, be trained in tandem. So a perfect example, strength and hypertrophy working hand in hand. 
It can and often does happen. Built by Annie is a prime example of that. I call it a strength and hypertrophy program because that is what it is. We are building both muscle and strength. This is also a type of approach of programming that I teach inside pure programming. Simply because most people, I believe, in my experience, want to have more muscle and also would like to build strength in some capacity, even outside of sports like bodybuilding, CrossFit, powerlifting, weightlifting, right? Generally speaking, in the gym, if people are involved in weights, they want to build muscle or get strong. So again, that brings us to training is a skill or strength rather is a skill. We want to train the skill if every movement is not necessarily best used for building maximal force, referring to like the lateral raise or maybe even like a quad extension a bicep curl, which absolutely can get stronger, but are we going to push maximal strength? Probably not. So what movements should you focus for strength? Let me be very clear about the fact that there is no black and white here. Generally speaking, large compound movements are where we most commonly drive strength adaptations, multi-joint, multi-muscle group movements like squats, horizontal and vertical pressing and pulling, and deadlift variations, sumo and conventional. But you can very much so drive strength in more single joint bias exercises like an RDL, a hip thrust, as I mentioned, a bicep curl or a quad extension. With the single joint exercises, I see them better used for hypertrophy or capacity work um, while still improving strength, which would be the load moved for a given amount of volume versus working specifically maximal force for one to three reps. You can absolutely still gain strength in something without working maximal strength. So getting comfortable under 80% load is a skill. The amount of time I spend as a coach building confidence in an athlete under the bar is massive. It's huge. It can feel like I am coaching that more than the motor pattern itself sometimes. Even in a given workout, each warm-up set is priming your nervous system for heavier and heavier loads, priming your muscles and priming your mind. Everything is getting primed in those warm-up sets because every rep is feedback and it's a penny in the piggy bank of movements done with intention of high force output. As the weight goes up, we ideally don't want a large change in the pattern itself. Now buffer zones are real, they are expected, they are welcomed when hitting those near or fully maximal loads. So don't sweat movement variation too much, especially uh, when you are getting into those maximal ranges. That shouldn't be happening that often anyway, and that brings us to the next two points, which is using a high RPE and deload weeks. Now, RPE is rate of perceived exertion, and then we will get into what a deload week is. So you do not need to be working at 90 to 100% of your max rep uh, or max load all of the time. In fact, this would likely lead to under-recovering and a strength and performance plateau, which we do not want. One of my personal favorite things to see with clients is the fact that we largely work in a 70 to 85% range most of the time. And yet, when we do creep into that 90 plus percentage range, that three to five rep range, really more so the three rep range is when I see this the most often, they can hit old numbers or even higher numbers with ease. And they're always surprised because we rarely do that. And 
they don't need to torture their muscles or joints to be able to do this. Now keep in mind, I work with women who just want to lift weights, but come from a sort of lifting background, typically be it weightlifting, powerlifting, or CrossFit. So I am not working with people competing in powerlifting or anything like that, but it is anecdotal proof or practice of evidence-based training methods that working in that 70 to 85% range and every once in a while crossing into 90 plus can definitely maintain or even increase strength. So yes, strength is a skill. It needs to be consistently trained, but also that doesn't mean balls to the wall 24-7. That's my point here, which is why deload weeks should be utilized if strength is the true number one goal. Back to point number one, you need to provide new, more challenging stimulus to the muscle in the pattern in order to push strength. That means it implies that we want to do what is called overreaching, not to be confused with overtraining. I have an Instagram post on this, a blog post as well. If the body makes its gains in recovery, then it needs time to recover, especially if you are pushing it or overreaching. You should need deload weeks. Your body should welcome them, again, in the context of pushing, excuse me, maximal strength, and you will likely need a deload week either after a very intense phase or heading into a new phase of pushing hard again. A deload is simply a week within your training phase that the overall taxation on the body and the mind is lowered significantly. Likely, that happens through load, volume, tempo, even movement pattern selection. All the variations or variables that we use in programming can then be used to bring on a deload week or program a deload week. You should be very challenged by the work that you're doing in the program. It should be very hard. Uh, And when I say that, I mean RPE eight likely and above, at least seven and a half and above. And your deload week will come after a period that you have been really building up to and or right before a very challenging new phase. Lastly, training sticking points, and or all degrees of movement. This is super important, and I think it's something that doesn't get enough credit in the world of strength, not even for power athletes or anything like that, just strength in general, people wanting to build strength, general population. When working on strength, you're training the skill of strength and the movement patterns themselves. That means that you will 100% come to understand the concept of a sticking point. If you've ever heard of someone getting pinned in the bottom of a squat or on bench press, they likely hit their sticking point just before the moment that they got quote unquote pinned. We cover this in depth and how to train sticking points inside my peer programming course and certification. But essentially a sticking point is the point in the concentric phase of a movement, which is the shortening phase, uh, which means typically that's like coming out of a squat, coming off your chest in a bench, pulling yourself up to the pull-up bar. Those are all the concentric phases where the velocity slows significantly or the speed. Then the velocity picks back up after the sticking point. It looks as though someone were pushing down on the weight right? So they're getting it off their chest and then it looks like eight weight has been added to the bar or someone is suddenly pressing the bar down as the athlete is trying to finish the movement and press the bar up. Truly, you cannot miss it. 
If you've never seen it, you'll know it when you do. Uh, Luckily, sticking points can be worked on and oftentimes they bring up strength of the overall movement, which is freaking fantastic. Isometrics and pauses are something that do not get used enough, I believe, in strength training. It like was tempo and now people are coming up to speed on tempo, (laughs) pun intended. Um, And now I believe isometrics and pauses are going to start getting more credit. They've been used for for decades, um, but they're going to get more mainstream credit, I think, soon enough. So these are really using pauses, I mean, are using short-term isometrics. So generally speaking, we're talking about isometrics here. Um, They are great tools to add more time under tension just before the start of a sticking point or any area of a movement that someone is struggling with. That's going to give the athlete a degree of strength gains just before and just after the joint angle at which the muscle is being stimulated with the isometric. So wherever, you know, at whatever point they're struggling, you're going to have gains just above and just below that. The goal put very simply, is to increase strength specifically in the sticking point. No matter what, when watching someone move a true near maximal load, there will be a sticking point. It is expected. Excuse that truck outside. I don't know if you can hear that. Even when watching the world's strongest man, you will see sticking points in many of the kind of singular exercises. Um, Strengthening every joint angle of a given movement will strengthen the overall pattern. And I know that maximal strength is often demonstrated in the smaller or shortest range of motion possible. This is because it decreases the time under tension and the room for error if we can shorten how how far that weight has to move. But there are gains to be made working in full range of motion, both for the overall muscle development, therefore pushing for potential strength and for longevity, which you know I'm about. When we when we move a muscle through certain ranges of motion, we recruit different muscle fibers, which is obviously, or in theory, going to help us get more muscle mass. And ideally, that gives us potential for more strength. So that is the whole idea with full range of motion. That is all I have for today's episode on what it takes to get strong, training the sticking points, um, moving through full ranges of motion, not for the maximal strength piece itself, but for overall muscle development, using high RPE, meaning you are pushing yourself. You have to push hard in order to gain strength, also in order to gain muscle, implementing deload weeks, working on training the skill and at least training that skill, you know, above 80%, uh, if not above 90%. In order to have an athlete be comfortable with being under those maximal loads, that is also a skill. Uh, And then obviously recognizing the difference between muscle growth and strength and newbie gains, having that conversation with clients if maybe they are at a period where those newbie gains are over and now we're going to have to implement some different things and be a bit more tactical and strategic with how we are going to improve strength. So if you love this episode, please head over to wherever you listen and give the show five stars in a written review. If you are not on my main mailing list, make sure that you are because there are exclusive podcast listener discounts at the bottom of every email, whether it is Annie's Daily Dose or Annie's Weekly Wisdom. You can check those out at anniemiller.co slash news. Until next time, I am Annie Miller and thank you so much for tuning into the Fitzpro podcast. <laughs>